Hi, and welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley. And today you find us um, back in our hometown of Bristol. Uh, We're in a spot called Brandon Hill, which is quite an elevated position looking south over the city. Uh, The sun has just set and we have a triptych of a half moon and Jupiter and Venus to admire shining brightly in the sky. It's rather beautiful, actually. And we're recording into our lav mics, which are protected by Bubble B wind bubbles. And we're also recording uh, a stereo wild track using uh, a handheld recorder protected by the Bubble B wind killer SE. But we're here to discuss the latest episode of the podcast with production sound mixer Erwan Kurzene. Yeah, so Erwan got in touch, very keen to talk to us about his work on Annette, which is the latest film from Leos Carax, exclusive currently to Mubi, and well worth a watch for any person that's enthusiastic about sound. Had a lot of really interesting challenges for Erwan, which he was uh, very happy to tell us all about, uh, because the nature of the film with, with director Leos Carax is that he's, he's a very ambitious director with a very unique sense of style, and in, on this occasion has made a, a rather operatic musical with all of the performances being captured live and it's a variety of locations with backing singers, crowds, uh, the main cast, Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard, singing among others. Yeah, um, it's, it's operatic, not in the sense of the music, it's a, it is a true musical um, written by the band Sparks. So, so it's their style of music, more modern music, but it's operatic in the sense that all, almost all the dialogue is delivered via lyrics sung as songs and uh, Erwan and Leos have treated the dialogue in the lyrics in the same way that people treat dialogue as in spoken narratives and that they were really keen to capture as much singing as possible from the original performance that's captured on camera and not have to overdub and as everyone will go on to explain very little of it had to be overdubbed. Yeah we actually focus on a few really interesting scenes Uh, which provide unique challenges for sound, but also use sound in a really interesting way to evoke emotion and and allow for really unique performances. Um, So it's well worth watching, if you can, before listening to the podcast, but hopefully you'll get a sense of it either way, um, as Iwan explains everything in great detail. Yeah, it's available on Mubi at the moment, for those of you with a subscription, or you can get a seven-day free trial if you don't. but we met with Erwan very recently, all via Zoom, Owen and I in our respective studios, and Erwan in France, I believe. Um, yeah, and I'll hand you over to Owen now to begin that conversation. So, welcome to the AMPS podcast, Erwan Kuzene. Hi. Thank you very much for getting in touch with us and joining us to talk all about the sound of Annette. Yeah. Which is a really wild ride of a musical. Yeah which you were both really glad to have the excuse to experience. Um, and um, yeah, as a production sound mixer for the film and as somebody who's collaborated with the director before, it'd just be really great to hear how you went about, well, first planning such an ambitious film and then pulling off the sound. Um, first of all, the, the, uh, Leo's 
every time you make something is at the same time it's simple and at the same time it's very complex you know it's part of the deal to work with Leos Leos is not kind of doing a very simple thing and when it's very simple it's always very tricky you know you have to understand that in his own geometry it's always very personal and so you had a, you have to meet him on this personal side and very often even if you do a very simple shot like even with aesthetic, I'm a very simple shot of somebody walking in the stairs. You face difficulties you never experienced before because the geometry he puts himself makes the whole work. Uh, he need to go in his own personal gesture, you know. Mm. So, um, and so this is very, very specific from Leos. So when you see something like, for instance, a musical, it will be very different, obviously. Uh, as a film from Leo's characters than the other musical you've seen before because it will put everything in the new geometry, dealing different kind of things. So we had to organize ourselves because uh, at this time already Leo's wanted to record everything in production sound, I mean, to record all the performance live. So I guess having already worked with Leo's once, mm-hmm. or a few times, sorry, um, where did you start having a conversation and starting to plan with Annette? Was there a script, for example, that you, you got involved with or was it more of a conversation? For, for, for the small story, uh, two years after we shot, we shot Ali Motors, I had a birthday party hmm. and, uh, and uh, Leo went with the record from uh, The Sparks. Hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a joke because we, I, I discovered The Sparks as a... I discovered the music of the Sparks while we were shooting Only Motors because there was this uh, "How would, would you getting home?" that was played live in the in the in the car while uh, uh, Daniel Avon is driving, mm. and so I became completely fan of uh, of the Sparks during the shooting, and so at this birthday party he brought this propaganda record, <laughs> 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 and I said, "Ah, oh, wow, that's great propaganda!" So I listened to the record very much. Uh, and two years after that, we had a meeting in his apartment and we were, t- we were talking about the project of uh, shooting Annette. And there were several covers in the original project of the Sparks from uh, Propaganda. Right. So to me, it was like I just came in a very personal uh, <laughs> uh, and natural process uh, um, involved in this project. After it was, um, we, we had like uh, different kind of timings because we had to wait for the construction of the film. So it mm-hmm. took us time to to uh, to be uh, involved in the technical sense of the way um, in the in the making of the film. So for like a couple of years, we we worked on that. We tried to understand exactly how it was possible to do uh, the film as it was uh, planned. And it, it started, the film started basically with the, a meeting with, uh, with Leos and the Sparks after we shot Holly Motors and we had this uh, scene with the, uh, How Do You Get Home um, played on the film. He met them, they discussed, they shared obviously some fantastic desire of making a film together great so um uh, the the sparks uh, just sent to leo's uh, a list of song uh, it was more than a list of song it was completely a film written in terms of song and we written in songs wow and uh, and leo said wow uh, it was it was so much uh, it was so close of uh, some of his own preoccupation that was uh, also uh, he had to understand the way to move to the Sparks' uh, taste and musical world 
to to bring that into his cinema and all the process of uh, of working with the Sparks was to meet them on their side with all this script made of songs and to to bring this material of songs into a cinema that could be representative of his own fantasies and his own desire of seeing actors uh, incarnating these uh, these songs and these situations and so and so for for Leos I mean it's very difficult to understand that uh, Leos didn't think immediately in terms of a musical as we are used to understand what is a musical I mean in the in the onirical side on the f- uh, f- fantastic side. Hmm. He thought in terms of musical, I guess, because he loves music. Hmm. He loves, he really loves singers. He's fond of Sparks and David Bowie, and uh, he already uh, worked before with Scott Walker. He's, he's very um, cultivated in music. He spent a lot of time listening to music and playing also music a little bit. And uh, and for him, it was, um, I guess, it was something he's been waiting for a long time to have this opportunity to make cinema and music. Okay. This is, uh, it was something really important to him. And he didn't think in terms of shooting a musical as, for instance, they do with West Side Story or La La Land, even. He was thinking in terms of shooting a movie with actors playing and acting. And um, he was thinking that maybe if they can speak on screen, they can sing on screen, but acting more or less as if they were speaking in t- in st- instead of singing. I mean, hmm. So it's a very particular thing on Leo's, uh, Leo's work because I think that uh, for Leo's, it's not so much a matter of doing a performance. It's more a matter of having freedom and singing is bringing a lot of freedom to acting and and for and also in the scenes themselves. I mean, people are, are doing different things while singing. Hmm. And uh, and so and so and so when we started this project and we saw all this uh, all this script made with songs and we heard all the demos by the Sparks and we said he said to me do you think we can do as we did like for Holly Motors and we record everything in production sound and I said well, well why not I mean we did it before so we just have to organize ourselves in. Um, in, in a particular mode that we are able to face the difficulty of recording everything live because uh, recording everything live is, it requires a real good preparation of the singers and the situation. Otherwise, you have just to do everything uh, again after and post-production. So mm-hmm. the basic commitment we had, everybody on set, everybody on the pre- pre-productions uh, and the, in the production office, uh, AD, camera crew, Art, art direction, and obviously all the actors, all the actor preparation was uh, had to be thought in terms of um, making possible to do everything the real the very day on set. That so everybody is able to sing very well and everybody is is able to recreate this situation that's been a fantasy from the Sparks and then from Leo's, but now has to become for real, hmm. real thing, you know. And I imagine there was a lot of rehearsal in trying to narrow down the structure of the performances. Yeah, yeah. On Only Motors, on Only Motors, we had these two scenes. Uh, one was with the orchestra and one was with Kelly Bynog. It was like several Saturdays of rehearsals because the key to record it properly was organizing ourselves with the, the, the quality of the music itself. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to record something live, you definitely need that the uh, the real part of this is good. Mm. After to record it, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's equipment, it's uh, it's organization. It's only a matter of organization. The really important thing is the performance of the actors mm-hmm. singing and doing the stuff. So what we understood from Oli Motors was that the, we had to work with the right choreography of the movement of the musicians in order that to make sure that the, the first people on the row in front of the camera can listen to the drum on the back of the screen. And in the acoustics of the church, we are able to, uh, to make the thing work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we started Annette, I said that my, my only concern was the organization process because we, we didn't have much time. I mean, we spent like two months preparing the, the this church scene for Holy Motors. Here, it was not two scenes, it was the whole film. I mean, yeah. you start with the first scene. Everything is shot exactly when uh, how it's written, you know. That means that when we see the first scene with the studio, on summer we start and people exit the studio booth, they, they st- still sing in the street. It's one one shot scene with the track of the Steadicam. And we had to record everything. The music on one side in the studio is the live music we hear. And at the same time, we have the another playback sync on the airwigs of the, the actors on the, um, uh, going outside. They still sing on the same earwig reference uh, playback and and it works i mean it's only a matter of uh, preparing the situation preparing the actors to do this to organize ourselves to find the proper uh, way to um, uh, not have uh, technical problems and uh, so it's very difficult and you have to be very prepared well but the key thing is always what will uh, what will do the actors and what will do the singers and if they, if they are able or not to do that mm-hmm. so we organize everything in order to be ready for this and we uh, we had the um, the wonderful Marius de Vries uh, who worked with us on that he was he's been working on La La Land but he's been working on many other um, films he was based in LA, so it was easy for him to uh, to prep the film with the sparks, and we uh, we worked with him also on the preparation of these singers for, on the singers for that. Okay, and he was very very efficient on that. So, so we could really 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 go really go far in the process of preparing not only the lead cast but also all the cast. I mean, all the extras, mm-hmm. all the the trained singers that. We will spread in the crowds to help people to sing correctly the thing in good rhythm and with the with the good tonality. You know, for instance, when we are on the Henry show, yeah. they say uh, they have two melodic lines. It's to them, Henry, Henry, we had enough. Henry, Henry, we had enough. Yeah. So it was very difficult to 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 help all this crowd to sing live yeah, yeah. <laughs> in front of Henry so Henry can just really face all this uh, the, the animosity of the crowd yelling at him singing you know everything is happening for real in this film you know so that, that's why the cra- that's why it was so crazy mm. and we're completely excited by that you know yeah well it'd be really good to get you to talk through the kind of technicality of some of the scenes yeah but as well as because obviously so you're involved in pre-production before the script's been finalized or the screenplay's been finalized i assume you know but were you talking to the people in post who were going to work on it in post-production ahead of the shoot and was there any conversation that way as well this is something i really really understood from annette is the importance of um the circulation of the work within people, the preparation of things, because uh, now I'm not 
able to think about starting a project without like meeting everybody involved in this project. I mean, from the very prep time to the very end of it, I mean, there is, it doesn't, it's another matter to know if I'm paid for being present or not. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. a way, it's very important for me to understand that what we are saying here is going to uh, follow the, the full process and be an exist still at the end of the shooting mm-hmm. and at the end of the mix of the thing. So, in fact, for a project like Annette, it's not very difficult to co- commit everybody and make uh, round tables with everybody just uh, uh, saying uh, his vision of the thing. And it's true that on this particular project, as I was almost alone uh, beside Leo's to organize all the work before, and I had a vision also of what we were supposed to do. So it was uh, natural for me to explain to everybody what was the the game Mm -hmm. and uh, how everybody could find that it was exactly Leo's desire to process that way so we did all the meetings in the uh, with Leo himself and he was just listening to what we were saying and was adding like adjusting my speech to be sure that everybody understood that it was his will to record everything like that so everybody followed the process in very very friendly way and take technically in a very high level highly skilled everybody went to this meeting we were like 20 person i wanted to, to to shoot a photo with it's very rare to be like 20 person in the prep time you know yeah with the old music department post-production um and it's very important for instance because uh the the re-recording mixer to magodea is a is is a wonderful mixer and uh it's very. It was very, very hard for him to mix this film because you know it's not what we're expecting as a musical movie. I mean, the actor doesn't act like singers like you have in West Side Story, for instance. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. Exa- it's not the same way of singing. It's. It requires to to low down a little bit the music because the human side of the, the recordings you have. I mean, you feel that you understand that exactly perfectly if you the music is low enough to understand that the breathing is part of what is uh, interpreting uh, the actor at this very moment, you know. So, 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 so if, you, if you are playing the music too loud, you lose all the human aspect of the voices of the recording. So, so the, he had really to find this balance and to, to bring all the audience in the, um, the capacity to accept the fact that we are uh, listening to uh, the loneliness of characters instead of, you know, like musical numbers hmm. uh, that brings joy. So in fact, it's a very, very harsh movie sometimes because the subject is very dark mm-hmm. and uh, you, you're really moved. I mean, a lot of people brought me text messages and telling me that how much they had like the shivers, uh, shivering in the, in, while looking at the film. And I don't know how you experience this film, but... On myself, while I was recording some scenes, I was like almost crying in front of my monitor, you sure. know, because it was very moving. I mean, it was really strong to say, wow, this, we are really doing that. You know, for instance, Simon Elberg conducting the, the real orchestra while he was crying and talking to the camera at the same time. We did like four, 24 takes of that. Okay. It's one shot scene. And the orchestra is is really conducting the orchestra. I mean, there was the conductor conducting on the dolly also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two of the musicians, but which was a funny situation. But uh, but I mean, he was really experiencing the situation at, as it was written, and he was really 
conducting the, a real orchestra playing in front of him while he was crying and talking to the camera, which is a totally unnatural process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For a conductor and for an actor, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to lead the music of the film where he's telling his uh, his his feeling about the situation and uh, the music is the music of the feeling of the situation and he's conducting the music of his own feelings at the at the same time is is telling his own feeling to the camera. It's, it's a completely crazy setup and and it works in a natural way i mean to me it's very moving because it's also a matter to understand that you're in the point of view almost of the musician that is receiving the melancholy of the actor who is telling to him you know why i'm conducting this music hmm. and so you're listening to the music and for me the challenge on this very scene was to help leos to to make an order that we don't have to dub simon we don't have to 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 do post production on that. He didn't want that. He really wanted to record the the emotion and the particular way of acting of uh, Simon Helberg while he was conducting, while he was facing this situation, and while he was sharing really something uh, moving of his own melancholy with the people who will interpret in terms of music what he was feeling. Hmm. Yes. So the very tricky side on the because. We, let's put aside the the the, the technical side. I mean, uh, I mean, okay, we had a lot of microphones and so forth, but um, it's a it's a, a matter of point of view. Uh, if you want to deal in in a, in a live recording of this scene, you have to understand that uh, there is a point of view in the scene. So to me, it was very important to feel that the the. We were listening to what he, he was saying as if the audience were playing one of the instruments of the orchestra. Hmm. So it was not a matter of technique and say, okay, this we understand, we don't understand very well this world, so maybe we can dub this world and we will deal with that later. And, uh, no, 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 no. It was, it was more to bring the orchestra low enough sometimes to give the feeling that musicians are trying to listen what he says, you know? Yes. So we were going, we were going all the time to meet uh, all the musicians and saying, well, these three notes, just fake it. <laughs> or just play it very low. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because, because it, was, it was too touchy for with the words. So, so we were like eliminating the orchestra little by little. Mm. And, and we, did, we did small recordings on set. With uh, with Le Clément, the arranger of the music, and uh, we did a, a couple of recordings with with small uh, uh, formations of uh, violins and stuff like that, just to add more grain. Okay. But almost everything of the music, except the organ, uh, is coming from the, the the real situation we we recorded for this. Yeah, sure. So it, in a very real way, you're sort of designing the soundscape for the scene live. Well, it was working in negative, a negative way, you know, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. But, but I mean, I hope I've been clear in my expl explanation, but uh, it's, uh, it makes sense to me to work like that. We could do that in a different way, like dubbing of the, the actors, for sure Simon would have done this perfectly, but there's a kind of fragility, there's a kind of uh, um, uh, sensitivity you have with the production sound, which is, except, uh, was, was, is very exceptional to me. Hmm. 
And also, it's a matter of also of uh, dealing with the side of the real. You know, it's not to be only in fantasy. I mean, uh, we uh, French, the French cinema maybe is more than the other in the side of the real. Uh, that's why we have this word uh, realizateur instead of director. Not direct is like giving direction to things. Yes. Uh, and uh, and uh, realize to realize a film is like uh, projecting to the real world the, the fantasy you had like as, as a script. So I, I love to see what does Leos as a kind of magician here a conductor also dealing with an orchestra, but putting all the things of his fantasy and bringing everything to reality. I mean, mm. So production sounds specific space in in uh, Leos's cinema maybe I'm very very lucky to work with a director maybe one of the only directors I know that is dealing with uh, fantasies and um, an onirical dimension but bringing all this into reality yeah yeah he certainly seems very unique in his aesthetic and approach compared to a lot of what's on available on offer at the moment in cinemas and mm -hmm. streaming um so yeah I, i'm glad you brought up that scene with simon in particular that was a highlight of mine mm -hmm. that we experience him conducting the emotional musical score to his own well, inner thoughts which he's projecting to us that's well, that really works practically and emotionally <laughs> very well Simon Simon had a couple of very very hard scenes with music. For instance, he had this other scene where he plays the piano. Uh, we uh, we had uh, Simon on stage playing the piano. The, the orchestra is is really tuning, so you can hear the, the orchestra tune, and it's recorded mm. with the with the the DPA three, and uh, everything is set up to record it as as a film music. Mm -hmm. A music for film and so he listens to the orchestra he starts to play he play obviously he plays on a silent piano so he hears himself playing through an ear rig and uh, he starts to sing so he starts to sing on the stage while there is an orchestra beside of him and then after we did this 360 grade shot with the dolly so we had to understand how to move all the cables because it <laughs> It was a mess of cables. We had to to organize ourselves for the dolly to to be able to to go all around the the, the piano. And after we go back to the orchestra, and the orchestra, the curtains open, and we discover that there is a crowd there, and the, the orchestra starts playing the aria uh, that will be the music we hear after when she sings the forest part, and uh, this is all live too. Right. I mean, it's to me, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's also something we could have done after, but the, the fact that we deal, we said, okay, let's do like that and we organize ourselves to, to put the actors in the situation of doing that. And, and when we recorded the, the Aria scene, we worked with Marion and Marion was really, uh, was fantastic. She, she, she fought a lot because we, we hardly wanted to keep the, the maximum of his voice. Obviously, when she's an opera singer, it's very difficult to um, to deal only with his uh, personal voice because she's not a real a soprano singer uh, and uh, somebody who is aware of the classical music, even basic uh, audience uh, will notice that she's no uh, um, a soprano, uh, no, not a professional soprano, but she was really, really strong in the in in her uh, capacity to sing. So uh, we uh, recorded a lot of things. With her and we did many wild tracks 
And uh, with the, um, the Fiora Cutler, I was training her uh, all the time uh, to be as, as strong as possible in, in what she was singing and what she was uh, performing uh, live. Uh, we did a lot of wild tracks. So we, we closed the curtains and we recorded several wild tracks of all the lines she was rephrasing after the after the after Fiora, and she was much better rephrasing after Fiora because she was focusing only on sound and singing. Mm -hmm. But also she was focusing on one phrase only, so the energy was different and so we could keep a lot of things from that. So I have this vision, and it's amazing because to me it says so much of the way we worked. We were on the stage, we record this sound. It was like. Like in every film, you know, sometimes we spend like 45 minutes doing recording wild tracks on set on this film mm. with the singers. So, so the first idea was a bit scared of all the <laughs> schedule, <laughs> but but we wanted to do the best for Mario. It was uh, she she fought too much, and so so we worked hard on that. And when we stopped, I saw I saw there was Leo's like phrasing with the mouse all the lyrics she was trying to to put in the films, and uh, and then after. We stop, we say, okay, thank you so much, let's move on. And all the audience that was on the other side of the curtains applauds. Why? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we we just forgot completely the fact that there was like a, like two two hundred fifty persons yeah. <laughs> was listening <laughs> to the recording of the wild track on the other side. You know, it was amazing because you know it's that you know the process of working on this film was that I man. It's because I had to deal with the fantasy on one side and the real real thing on the on the, the other side. You know. Yeah. And for instance, the Henry uh, scene, it's amazing because. To me, it's not the matter to understand if his, uh, Henry is a good stand-up comedian or not a good stand-up comedian, or if, if he makes you laugh or not laugh. It's, it, to me, it's a concept, the character of this, uh, of this film. And, um, and when he's on stage, what is important is the fact that the stage, the situation is the meeting between the audience and his intimacy. And so the sound is the vehicle of this meeting, I mean, it's crazy as a sound mixer to uh, be in the situation of recording an actor that feels completely alone on stage, holding the microphone, which is the only thing he has in hand to produce the sound, to express himself, to deal with his own person, because it's dealing with his body, it's dealing with his voice, it's dealing with his breathing, it's dealing with the space of the of the the the, the, the stages working on at this, at this very moment and at the same time he is facing a completely anonymous crowd hmm. and the, the, the sound was the exact uh, point, critical point where uh, intimacy becomes public and public enters into the intimacy of the people. Hmm. So this scene is, is, is really crazy to me and, uh, and to explain very briefly the way we did because this scene was a one-shot scene, more or less, a shot in multicam. Mm -hmm. So we did several takes, and um, and uh, and after we did, we had extra shots just for the editing process. But the the main performance of the of the um, of Adam Driver and the audience and the chorus girls on stage, it's basically live. Mm -hmm. Everybody has earwigs. Everybody, everybody hears the playback and the music and the cues in the earwigs, and we just send live. The, the the cues uh, we had rehearsals before with Adam in particular and Adam worked on his side with the microphone to understand what he was 
um, what, what he was planning to do. And uh, Leos let him completely free to adapt, to, 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 uh, to act uh, or, or invent what he wanted to do on stage. So all what we hear on this scene is basically uh, inventions by Adam Driver. Right, okay. Uh, all the ideas of how playing with the microphone, breathing. Yeah, because the microphone is becomes part of the performance, doesn't it? There's swinging it around his head, is kind of um, blowing into it, banging it, slamming it on the floor. It's, it's amazing the way he understood that it was a kind of a mirror for him. Mm. So the microphone is a kind of mirror, is, a, is the reflection of what he is. I mean, if he breathes, he hears this breathing. So he, he was very focused. Uh, Adam Driver, he asked me, uh, he was very sharp. Uh, I loved, I really loved working with Adam Driver. He's, a, he's a, an incredible uh, actor. I mean, it's, it's, I don't have the words to express the way he was like uh, uh, in such an intelligent actor. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a matter of performance. It's a very, it's a very, very intelligent person. And um, everything he proposed was like the, you know, the reflection of his own personality. So he was fighting with himself. And, and so he had to understand himself through the microphone. So he asked me to put a, a loudspeaker so he was able to hear himself doing the thing. So I had a loudspeaker dedicated to him. I was handling the level of what I was sending to this because I had to be, to be always very, very high so he can... He, he, he could go in very small breathing and he heard what he was doing with the noise of the microphone and the noise of his throat. At the same time, he was uh, <laughs> shouting in the microphone. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to be very <laughs> quick, <laughs> very quick to, to, to set up uh, the, uh, in the dynamics. And, and I, was, I was, so I was on one side, I was recording this and I was accompanying also him in this performance and this, and this uh, research of what he was trying to express on stage, alone on stage. And at the same time, I had like the audience with 30 uh, lead singers uh, leading 80 uh, extras singing. Hmm. And so for this, I wanted to be uh, in the same uh, kind of treatment that I was doing with the orchestra. So, so I spread like 30 microphones in the crowd. I dedicated a microphone with a little stand and I said to, to the guy, well, this is your microphone. If you change position, you just change your, you just bring with you your microphone. You set up the same way. So I put the antennas and I had like another recorder with 30 tracks. Right. So okay. I could record all the, all the crowd like that. And I had loudspeakers in the ballroom. So I could just send the voice of Adam live in the, in the place and record also with stereo microphones, the acoustics of the place. Mm-hmm. So I had really an orchestra. Um, uh, set up for this. Yeah, uh, that that gives you the feeling that you are really close and and large at the same time in the film. And we had all this feeling that not only uh, we have the boo and the cheers and applause, we have also embarrassing, you know, small small lines, mm-hmm. smaller humming. Yeah, people that is wondering what kind of show it is, you know, all this thing yeah. that is really really difficult. So you are really on the side of the audience all all the time. So you are always on the side of kind of yeah judging what is doing on stage, you know. So. Well, those, those are just two examples of excellent scenes we really wanted to talk about. Simon conducting his own score in the one scene, but also then Henry as Adam Driver 
uh, performing to a live crowd and, and feeling that live feedback yeah, yeah. as an audience member. Um, we had a couple of other scenes as well, which we just thought were really interesting to sort of talk about and elaborate on. Mm-hmm. One of which was the the waltz on the deck of the boat, mm-hmm. which again is a very kind of interesting blend of fantasy and reality in that you have this rear projected storm, which is very deliberately unrealistic and fantastical. Yeah. And then this very physical set that they're engaging on and um, Adam and Marianne are, are having water thrown at them. They're dancing in quite a rough and vibrant way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, again, seemed like a really interesting challenge um, for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's uh, From the very beginning of the prep, everybody was saying to me, well, you know, this uh, it won't be possible to record a production in this condition because of water, because yeah. of the the gimbal, you know, the, the, this this moving platform. We've been building the, 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 the fake boat on, so it was moving on all the directions like that. So we did tests on that, and I was a bit more confident that everybody that we could grab something because anyway they would they would shout i mean mm. so so something the main the main difficulty was the water to me yeah more than the extra noise and uh and uh so <laughs> I, w- I was because you know in prep leos was always pushing me uh, because he, he saw that i was like a kind of fanatic of production sound sound so so when he felt that i was doing a step backward he was just Keep pushing me forward, you know. Why well, you are so? You don't find earwigs to go underwater. It's, it's pity. <laughs> so, so I was looking, you know, on my computer to find uh, who was um, the specialist for uh, for the uh, for playing music underwater for for people doing. Uh, dancing underwater, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to look for all the solutions, and uh, while I was preparing, I was uh, working with friends of mine from a, a company, a rental company in in Paris, uh, Tapage, hmm. uh, which is doing a lot of broadcasts. So I say, and and they are they and I was with my daughter, and I was looking for. A, uh, it was a holiday time, and so she so she was uh, much on TV, and she was looking like a, a program where people were just. Uh, jumping into the water uh, with the microphone, and I said. So I called the uh, tapage and I said, well, how, "How do you do that to put the, all the water, the microphone, water?" So they gave me all their tricks and the water packs and stuff like that. And there are some of the mics you can you use, like Countryman, for instance, but also uh, DPA, the new DPA one. Uh, so so tiny, so you are almost protected from water. So because of the size, yeah, yeah because of the size. So. Mm. So we recorded many of uh, many uh, most of the scene were recorded in production sound. After uh, I know that they did most of the post we had with uh, with Adam Driver was on this scene. Uh, actually, he spent only one day dubbing. Wow, Adam, and uh, we had the same with Marion, and uh, we did an- another day for recording ambiences and uh, the real soprano. Yeah, for uh, for dubbing the the stage scenes, but uh, it's very little for a two hour and uh, and twenty minutes film. Yeah, mm. and uh, and so most of the dubbing we had with Adam was was this, and it was so strong you can't notice that it's dubbed. Everything was making a lot of noise. There was the rain. There was the cannon. Uh, 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 launching water uh, waves on uh, on the deck, and there was the projectors and a lot of things. And I was really sure that most of these noise will be included in the in the artifact of the situation. Hmm. It it's obvious to me that it was not trying to be a real boat on the real sea because 
on the image side it's so theatrical yeah and uh, but the sound editor just kept a lot of things from the direction sound <laughs> just to spoil a little bit the sound design of the of this scene because it it had to be uh, in some way theatrical i mean the tragedy they are experiencing at that time is part of the operatic world of Anne. So all these dimension of the of the shows, theatrical shows, had to be here present on that time. So you have to feel that it's a stage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? It did come across very organic, which is why I was yeah very interested yeah. in that balance. Now, in fact, uh, Leosa, Le- Le- as far as as I experienced him, he really doesn't feel really comfortable with the way we'll see that later we'll fix that in post <laughs> it's, it's totally yeah. it's totally the, the opposite he needs to to see exactly what he has under his eyes is to be able to understand the way he films that uh, to he, he has to feel that the actors are really able to to feel the situation as if it was a real situation and in fact the, the idea which is a really really an idea coming from uh, Leos and not the sparks on this uh, is to to move the um, the baby Annette from a real little girl to a puppet in the film, and she becomes a little girl only on the last scene mm. uh, when she is able to say, "I feel emancipated now." I'm glad you brought up the final scene because that was another one I was I was mm. very interested in the 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 intimacy there of introducing this very young singer and Adam and her together mm. in that space. Um, and the shifting nature of the performance of the song, I thought that was very interesting. So, was was that again a, a, a challenge to to capture those performances? Was that a long process of of the two actors for getting comfortable scene. with that dynamic? For yes, the, for, for the, the last scene. scene. Yeah, the last scene it was crazy because um, it took us a, a, a long time to find the, the little girl. It was a difficult casting uh, to find a four years old girl able to sing like that. It was really really hard. And so, so we faced this situation very late. We were already shooting when we started to understand who was the little girl and uh, to prep her to make her rehearsal. So when we when we finally filmed the meeting of two of them, it was a, a totally unexpected situation. Uh, I mean, uh, unexpected in the way that it, they didn't rehearse before. Really, they met. Before, but it was like Adam really wanted to be like a face to face, an unexpected face to face. And the little girl was really amazing. She arrived there, she looked at Adam. Adam was like five times her height. No. Yeah. <laughs> she looked at him like that. <laughs> You're in front of a four years old uh, little girl. It's uh, something completely crazy, and it's part of the crazy, uh, the, the crazy aspect of the scene. I mean, I mean, you don't expect that little girl to just beat the table, saying, um, "I won't follow you on that. I will get rid of my uh, parents if I need that, but I won't reproduce the. I won't do again the same uh, errors you've been making uh, for uh, bad reasons." And uh, to me, the incredible uh, the, this scene is the core of the whole film. I mean, people talked about the the aggressivity uh, the, uh, of uh, machism, uh, aggressivity of men, um, feminicide. And so, there is a little bit of everything in the, the script. To me, the most important thing of this of the of the the story is really this scene. I mean, is the the point of view of the children that is uh, the, that are able to say we won't do the same bullshit 
we won't do the same thing. We we we, we will do better. We know now yeah. that it's that it's not good. We we know better about good and bad. <laughs> but they, but it is smart enough, Lewis, not to put that in in terms of good and bad because it's no it's no moral. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 more a matter of surviving in this world. You know, it's more uh, mm. more important than that. And to me, the rawness of the of this last scene. And the rawness of this strength in the voice of the little girl that is able to face Adam and watch at him, even if he's taller, even if he's older, even if he's a big uh, grown-up person. And she's doing exactly than everybody has been doing on the rest of the film. She still has the earwig and she listens to the playback and she plays, she sings really like... A, it's an a cappella singing with Adam, but they both have earwigs and they both follow the same playback and it works. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you even feel a, a tint of the evidence of that where I felt that when she is hugging him and she's singing into his chest and that feels so real because it's got a tone to it that yeah. you wouldn't get unless you were singing no. into a body no. in that way. So the intimacy comes through. No, no, it would be impossible to dub the little girl. Uh, to yes, make this sure. in post, it's impossible. I mean, all the imperfections, I don't know how people uh, will listen to I'm I'm moved by the human side of the scene. I'm not looking for a singing performance of that. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for a, a professional, a small little girl. I mean, I mean, it's no more Annette on that side. So the, the very pleasant thing in uh, Leos' world is also that... Um, everything is very coherent in what he does, you know. Mm. So you could say what well, is very strange to do a film about Annette and then bring a little girl to do this kind of performance, but she's not doing a kind of performance. She's not doing exactly what we would expect Annette as a puppet to do before. I mean, she's doing something completely different. And the fact that she's expressing herself in, in with production sound is it's, it's very important to me because she she it's her speaking. Yes, mm. yeah. Now, Dewin was incredible. Wow. Well, to me, that just seems like an excellent point to close the conversation on, on yeah. Annette. I mean, that final scene. And... I could talk about that for hours. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, cause, uh, yeah, fascinating, a really fascinating film to experience. Yeah. Um, and I may well go back to, but hopefully, uh, if people haven't come to it so far, then they will after hearing this conversation. Yeah. And what's next for you, Erwan? Are you working on anything at the moment? I've been working, uh, I've just finished now, I'm, I'm, I'm supervising the sound uh, on a film from an Italian uh, director, mm. Pietro Marcello, who did um, Martin Eden uh, recently. And, uh, and uh, it was much fun because he, he asked me, he, we met and he said to me, uh, so what do you want to do on this? I said, well, I, I think we can do that. And I said, okay, you have carte blanche, do whatever you want, just use strange microphones. So I said, wow, that's cool. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. That is a great proposal to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is super cool. Thank no, you, thank Owen. You. Thank you so much for joining us. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So welcome back to Brandon Hill, uh, where Owen and I are still getting picked up via our personal microphones, which are covered from the wind on this breezy evening, thanks to Bubble Bee's wind bubbles. Um, we're also showcasing their latest wind killer windshield with our portable stereo recorders, which is giving you a bit more of a stereo image for this hilltop in Bristol. 
Now, we'd just like to thank Erwan again for, first of all, getting in touch with us and, and, and suggesting that we discuss uh, Annette and, and taking the time to do so. We hope you all find it an interesting conversation. Funnily enough, Owen and I, before we actually met with Erwan, we kind of envisaged talking to Erwan about the real kind of technicalities, the equipment he used, the sort of setup, the planning, which obviously Erwan does. But actually, it was, it was fascinating listening to him talk about the, the poetry and the artistry and the personal kind of involvement of him and Leos and their relationship, which was as interesting as the, the technical side. Yeah, it was really refreshing just to hear somebody so excited, enthused and satisfied with capturing the performance, which is obviously so important, um, especially in a film like this, so much live uh, energy yeah. and, and unpredictable elements. Yeah. all occurring in front of the camera. So yeah, we hope you enjoyed it too. Um, hope if you haven't seen the film uh, so far that you go and check it out. We'd really recommend it. It's a real wild ride and an experience of a film. Yeah, and there's a previous film that that, uh, that Erwan mentions is Holy Motors by the same director that Erwan worked on. That is also available at the moment on Mubi. Yeah, also definitely worth checking out. And of course you can always check out uh, more information about AMPS, the Association of Motion Picture Sound we provide this podcast for um, and the, you can find out more information about joining AMPS at their website which is www.amps.net uh, you can also get in touch with us if you've worked on a project lately like Irwan and you just love to share some insight into it we'd be happy to have you on the podcast so you can find us on Twitter at, at AMPS podcast or drop us an email at ampspodcast at gmail.com yeah hope to hear from some of you in future and so from a Calm but chilly Bristol evening will uh, bid you adieu. Yeah. <laughs> Ta da. Ta da. <laughs> Are you looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to? Well, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.